in that dock. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hey, Cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. Welcome. Hey. Welcome. Hey. We're three old time travelers oh. learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. Hey, we're back. Yay. What's up? Ever since H.G. Wells penned The Time Machine in 1895, the time travel subgenre of science fiction has captured the imaginations of countless people. Although the concept of time travel in fiction was not new, Wells' idea of time transportation in a stylish machine was novel. Whether you have a nostalgic longing for the past or an undying curiosity about the future, it's probably safe to say that we've all wondered, what would I do if I could travel through time? Oh, man. So many things. (laughs) Number one, I've got to know what dinosaurs really look like. That's fair. First one, first trip. Oh, my God. I'd be so scared that I would travel back and like right into the mouth of a dinosaur or something. You know what I mean? That's yeah. true. Because you, you don't know, you don't where, know you're where you're going. Where. That's a good <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. And like, but you also think about that too. You'd have to like do the research. Like where, you know, where are the livable places of land? Like, oh, you know. That's a good and, point. Yeah. yeah. You like, know? yeah. <laughs> what did the earth look like? Then? Yeah. What, where it, was I'm it not inhabitable? Gonna up, and... Yeah. Not going to end up in like an ocean or yes, something, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think what I'm hearing is a flying time machine. That's yes. that's truly what we're looking for. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> kind of like meet the Robinsons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you do, Marcy, if you could travel through time? Honestly, I don't know, actually. I've never even thought about it, really. Wow. Yeah. I know. Go go live on, like, a British estate somewhere and, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be, like, in... Um... Go visit Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would go. be super cool. Yeah. That's a yeah. good one, actually, to go back and meet. Yeah, meet like people. people. Somebody who, that, yeah. yeah. That would be really Although neat. Although they do tell you don't meet your heroes, so. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do if you could travel through time? Yeah. I would want to spend time with people who have died. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't go back and try to change things, like, right. as much as I would really like, like to do to that. Be. Yeah. I would probably go back and just visit with people mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. are dead and yeah. spend time with them and just make that would new be memories. Cool. It would be yeah. cool to get to know like my grandparents and stuff when they yeah. they were like younger or, or you know mm-hmm. uh, when I wasn't born yet where there would yeah. be no connection to I wouldn't be there but yet I could you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. be at a grocery store or something and mm-hmm. run into them see or, what they were like you know? yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. just have a, a you know, nice, friendly conversation. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think it'd be neat to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then turns out that because of your meeting with them, oh, they're like, no. oh, wow, we really like the name Marsha. <laughs> she was so nice. And then that name <laughs> follows down, and then that's... Infinite loop. Here yeah. we go. And then my sister was ended up named oh, Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> or my aunt. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost 100 years after Wells' concept was put into print, writer and producer Bob Gale was visiting his parents when he came across his father's yearbook. Flipping through the pages of his parents' past made him wonder if he would have been friends with his dad in high school. And then he wondered, what would it be like to find out? With a screenplay idea in mind, Gale spoke to his friend Robert Zemeckis. The two had already been working on a concept for a time travel movie with an eccentric professor character 
but they couldn't make the story work. With this new idea, the two started writing one of the most iconic films of the 20th century, Back to the Future. Yeah. Yay! It's interesting to think about how, like, what would the movie be like if they didn't meet? You know, if they didn't, like, make this work? Because you have a time travel movie with just a crazy professor Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then, I guess, a different time travel movie. Yeah, they couldn't figure out Doc Brown. They they just didn't know what the story would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he was the one that went to the past originally. And they were, like, trying to figure that out. And then when he went home, went to his parents' house, and he was he flipped through the yearbook, and he saw his dad was the president of student council. Mm-hmm. Mm. And apparently he, Bob Gale, was the president of uh, students, students to abolish student government. Oh, oh so, no. Yeah, so when he was in school. So when he saw that, he was like, I... Would I have been friends with my dad? <laughs> mm. I don't think so. Probably no. not. If yeah. they were totally yeah. against each other. Then. Yeah. And like, so he thought about that and just like, that, yeah. that would yeah. be a really interesting concept for a movie if a kid went back in time and met his parents, which is what happens in this movie. Perfection. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hop on our skateboards, not hoverboards yet. This nope. is just the regular old Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and swing back to Hill Valley in 1985 and 1955 and learn what it takes to get back to the future. Aha. Uh-huh. Yay. Yeah. Everyone remembers that they go to the future. Yeah. And, you know, the hoverboards and all that. Right, right, but, right, right, right. But, but this movie, they go nah. back, and they go back to 1985, which yes. to them is going back to the future. I feel like, because it is a confusing name. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, for those of you who haven't seen this lovely movie, definitely go check it out. I'm afraid it may not be streaming anywhere. It's not. Unfortunately, but <gasps> rent it, buy it. But anyway, hey, go find Back <laughs> to the Future at some point. Go watch Back to the Future if you haven't because we're going to talk about it. So. Yeah, yeah, lots of spoilers ahead. And here's a summary for you. Marty McFly is your average teenager. He likes rock music. He skateboards. He has a crippling fear of failure, and he hangs out with an eccentric inventor named Doc Brown. All normal teen things. (laughs) Totally, totally. We've all done it. Yeah, Yeah. we've all had a Doc Brown. (laughs) One night, Doc calls Marty to join him at the mall for a scientific discovery. Doc reveals to Marty that he has uncovered the secrets to time travel and crafted a working time machine from a DeLorean. Things go south when Doc gets murdered for stealing plutonium needed to make the time travel possible. To escape the chaotic scene, Marty hops in the DeLorean and accidentally travels back to 1955. Without the Doc Brown of the future, and with no plutonium in sight, Marty must find a way to travel back to the future. Yeah! Ooh, does he make it? All right. You guys ready for the making of? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) As Robert Zemeckis was working on Back to the Future, his own future in the film industry seemed up in the air. He had directed a few flops, and he was facing a dry spell. When Steven Spielberg expressed interest in producing Back to the Future, Zemeckis essentially turned him down, saying that he was afraid of creating another flop. Impossible. Yeah. Steven Spielberg was like, hey, that, that screenplay sounds pretty cool. We should, we should do that. He'd read it, at least the first yeah. drafts or whatever. 
And he was like, honestly, Steve, you produced my last two movies and they were both flops. And uh, I'm afraid of you producing a third movie for me and it also being a flop. And so Steven Spielberg was like, yeah, okay. Fair. (laughs) I I guess I see what you're saying. All right. right." So he just, you know, was like, whatever about it. (laughs) Oh, man, that's incredible. Yeah. To turn down Steven Spielberg, you know? Yeah, just because they're, you know, they're friends and it was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that to you, man. I don't want to. Yeah. Give you another flop. Zemeckis and Gale went to studios all over Hollywood with the screenplay and was turned down again and again. Teen comedies at the time were much racier and R-rated, and no one was interested in a PG teen film. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> that is kind of funny. Because <laughs> it was movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Ah, yes. And other things mm-hmm. that just they were a little racier. We had yeah. sex scenes in them. Mm-hmm. They were more grown up mm-hmm. or Animal House. Things that were just- I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't- it wasn't like this, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't. This is a very family friendly movie. Yeah, yeah. And the others weren't. And they, cause they were like, kids don't, teens don't want to watch family, family friendly. friendly stuff. <laughs> yeah, they want to rebel. They want to watch something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Naughty. <laughs> Disney was the only studio that thought the movie was too risque because of the plot between Marty and his teenage mother. Isn't that funny? <laughs> of, of course. Of course yeah. it was Disney. It was, it was either not risque enough or too risque. Yeah. <laughs> and that was... Just a little bit. How, how, you can't win. No. No. Nope. 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 Really Ugh. couldn't. Really couldn't. Yeah, that, that whole plot made them made some people very uncomfortable. The whole, like, mm-hmm. he yeah. goes back in time and his mom's kind of into him. It is a little... To the point where he almost erases himself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just take out the p- fact that that was his mother for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine dating somebody who just vanishes yeah. at some point. Like, it, maybe even in front of you, just like, yeah. whoosh, because the- Sounds the, terrible. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. gosh, wow, that would yeah. be ridiculous. Just snap your fingers. and I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Right? But Zemeckis was lucky enough to direct a hit film in 1984 called Romancing the Stone. As the praise rolled in for that feature, so did the offers to make Back to the Future. But Zemeckis decided that the person he should go with was the man that believed in the story all along, Steven Spielberg. So shooting began at Universal Studios soon after. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because basically, I mean, they everybody turned this movie down. They, yeah. they went everywhere. They said they had to... A whole folder of rejection letters from people. Nobody wanted to do this, but Steven Spielberg had just heard the idea a couple years ago and was like, hey, you want to? Yeah, that sounds cool. I'll make that movie. Sure. You know? So, you know, it was now that everyone was like, oh, hey, we want to make Back to the Future now. Wow. Romancing the Stone. It's so well. And he was like, no. Uh, Yeah. No. (laughs) I, I actually really like that that happened. That yeah. attitude yeah. is perfect. It's like, oh, oh, now you want to help me? I don't think uh-huh. so. Yeah, yeah. I'm nope. gonna go with Steven Spielberg. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not a bad way to go. Mm-hmm. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale started writing Back to the Future in 1980, although they had been tossing around ideas for the screenplay for a couple of years. Inspired by the rules of time travel laid out in H.G. Wells's The Time Machine, they decided that Doc Brown's Time Machine 
would only travel in time and not in space. Yeah. Uh-huh. No TARDIS Yes, here. this is my favorite kind of time travel simply because it makes the most sense. Yeah. That's Has it. Has the most rules. Is it, is it convenient? <laughs> Hell no. Nope. <laughs> not at all. It's not convenient but you know, at all, but it makes sense, though. <laughs> what in the world is super yeah. convenient? Yeah, Come on. exactly. Right. Time travel. Nothing's convenient. Time travel shouldn't suddenly be convenient. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though it's one of the most convenient things to add. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's complicated, but it fixes every story plot line. Yep. Oh, yep. man. Everything's yep. going south real bad right now. Let's just, yeah. Ooh, what if we added some time travel to this yeah. movie? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Even better. The day. Oh yeah, it's a better <laughs> fix than just cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Originally, the time machine was a chamber akin to a refrigerator. It permanently sat in Doc Brown's lab, except when the characters loaded it into a pickup truck. In an earlier draft of the story, Marty needed the power of a nuclear explosion to get the machine working again. So he and Doc Brown were to bring the chamber to a testing site for nuclear bombs. Universal told Zemeckis and Gale that they would not have the budget to shoot on location and create such an explosion. So the entire ending had to be reworked. Oh my gosh. Are you guys hearing what I'm hearing? This is Do you are you wow. hearing what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. So their idea was to have Marty get into a refrigerator. <laughs> At a nuclear bomb testing site. This plot with sounds the fake houses. Very familiar. And have a nuclear explosion that was going to send him. I believe that was the, the beginning of a, a movie that came out. You know, you I know, just, I feel like it's just a few years ago. I heard this and I was like, no. <laughs> what? They scrapped the they took the scrapped ending oh my God. of Back to the Future. <laughs> and they put it. In like the fourth Indiana Jones movie, uh, Kingdom exactly of the Crystal like Skull. That. I I was right. Like, I was watching it and I heard them talking about it. And they the commentary that I was watching was recorded way before that movie came. Yeah. Out. Right. So they they were just very frankly talking about what they were gonna what the plan was. So I'm glad they didn't use it in this movie. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I was like, I didn't. Wow. Running into this budget issue actually made the film better as the two men decided that it made much more sense for the time machine to be mobile. As Galen Zemeckis reworked the story, DeLorean Motor Company was filing for bankruptcy. Their founder, John Z. DeLorean, was facing drug charges at the time. Galen Zemeckis thought it would be perfect for the film because the car itself looked similar to the 1950s depictions of spaceships in comics and films. That's the whole the whole gag with the family when <laughs> when Marty first goes back to 1955 and the family is is gathered in the in the barn yeah trying to figure out what just drove into their barn and the uh, you know the door opens up yeah. and the 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 dad thinks it's a it's an airplane yeah and the little boy is like no dad and he shows him his his comic book <laughs> and he sees him on, the, on the comic book page. Looks exactly the same yeah. wow. as that. Yeah. So they were very, they wanted to make make it look like it was a UFO. Like, that's mm-hmm. amazing. It, it's a very it future, worked. quote unquote, futuristic looking car. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect choice. Yeah. What, what we thought the future would look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the change was made and the time traveling DeLorean was born. 
The yellow, red, and green lights in the DeLorean paid homage to the time machine from 1960. In that film, the machine has three light bulbs of the same colors. Yeah, Very that's nice. really cool. Yeah, the the DeLorean time machine, I think for the first movie, they had three of them. They had basically took the regular DeLorean and then they rigged it out with a bunch of scrap airplane <laughs> parts and different things yeah they were, like attached to it mm-hmm. to make it look very you know spacey yeah time traveling <laughs> yeah and the plutonium that they put in it was actually pretty accurate to at least the way they would carry plutonium so the yeah. uh, like the the clear capsule and the way he brought it over to the car and he like and it like kind of like sucks it in and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Like they had the prop guy had someone come and show them like this is oh. how we would transport. They didn't show them what they didn't no. show them plutonium, but, but they like were like, the this general, is how we would like, transport yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so it, uh, and the commentary, Bob Gale was like, I don't know if it's red, <laughs> but <laughs> he said, but that is how you transport it. <laughs> That's really cool that they kept that. It's, it's funny. scientific. Yeah, that is cool, but it, it's funny because in like every cartoon ever, yeah, plutonium is green. Ooh, it's like yeah, a radioactive yeah. green. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Just... It's red and back to yeah. the future. Yeah. Why not? Production began in November of 1984 with actor Eric Stoltz in the lead, playing Marty McFly. Even though Michael J. Fox had been the studio's first choice for the role. He was too busy filming Family Ties and Teen Wolf. Oh, boy. We talked about that movie. As filming began, Robert Zemeckis felt that even though Stoltz was a great actor, he didn't fit the part as well as they had hoped. So they reached out to Michael J. Fox to see if they would work out a filming schedule. Fox decided to work around the clock, sometimes only getting one to two hours of sleep a night so that he could play the lead role. Oh, man. Whoa. That doesn't sound yeah. fun. Dang. Yeah, he so he was filming Teen Wolf on the same street that they were location scouting for Back to the Future. <laughs> in in the movie, Marty McFly gets hit by his quote his grandfather hits him hits him with the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that scene was filmed on the same street that they were filming Teen Wolf. <sighs> and so he was filming Teen Wolf, and he saw them location scouting. And he was like, what are you guys, what are you guys location scouting for? And they said, a Spielberg film, Back to the Future. And he was like, man, what am I, why did I pick Teen Wolf? I wish I could do movies like that. Yeah. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds really great. I'd rather do that movie. And they, but it was like, nope, you're too busy. His, his mm-hmm. agent told him, like, there's mm-hmm. no way. He, when he played Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties, yeah. they couldn't just like, you know, move that stuff around. Like he was mm-hmm. very it was a very strict schedule and Yeah. So yeah, he would go film this movie at like one in the morning and then he would go to bed and get up at like five AM to, you know, get in hair and makeup for his other wow. show. Madness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fox and the other actors did many of their own stunts, so filming could be pretty grueling on the body. He and Zemeckis would say, pain is temporary, film is forever. <laughs> Got him. Yep. Suck it up. <laughs> they cut together all these scenes of him just being dragged and punched oh, and yeah. like all, all this. He did a lot of stuff oh, yeah. for the movie. He was only like 22. I know. I was going to say, he probably he loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd was the obvious choice for Doc Brown. He played the role as a combination of Albert Einstein and the composer Leopold Stokowski, which explained his wild white hair and grand gestures. 
Yes. <laughs> He's the perfect mad scientist, <laughs> but not an evil mad scientist. Nope. Which is why he's so likable. Yeah. He is conducting the world and he's so <laughs> yeah. animated. Leopold Sikowski was the conductor in Fantasia. Oh, hey. If anybody, yeah, there's a little bit of Disney nice. trivia. One of the biggest questions surrounding the film is the origin of Marty and Doc's relationship. Bob Gale has stated that they imagined the two met when Marty broke into Doc's lab after hearing urban legends about his crazy inventions. The two then became friends with Marty sometimes helping Doc out with experiments. You can even see in the movie that Doc Brown has his own business. Ah. Yes, very interesting. Yeah. A lot of people are not satisfied with that. Uh, <laughs> with, with that explanation <laughs> yeah. as to why they would be friends. Because it is, they never explain it in the movie. It's never addressed. Mm -mm. But people do kind of make fun of Marty for hanging out with him. Right. Or at right. least they like talk about it. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, I actually kind of thought he worked for Doc. Yeah. Because in the beginning, he's, it like, taking like care it. of his house for him. Yeah. So I thought that that was, like, his job, kind yeah. of, you know? And, yeah, it was, like, if he kind of works for Doc, it's more like when Doc calls him at 2 a.m. and was like, hey, I'm at the mall. You, you should come down here. Yeah. And Marty actually goes. It's, yeah. like... Yeah. It seems right. it would make There's, more sense yeah. if it was, like, a like a boss right. situation. That's yeah. true, because... Otherwise, it's like everyone around him, and like since he's a teenager, right? It's like, yeah. oh gosh, what's this nerd hanging out with <laughs> this old man all the time? What are you doing? You yeah, know? it's pretty. Yeah, but it is a nice little, a nice relationship. It's a oh, great. Yeah. I mean, their dynamic is really, I think, one of the things that makes the movie so special. Oh yeah, Galen Zemeckis chose the 1950s for a couple of reasons. One, it made mathematical sense that Marty's parents met in the 1950s. Also, they wanted Marty to invent skateboards and rock and roll. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Some things that, you know, I think are a little troubling now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> also, the 1950s was the beginning of American teen culture, when teenagers had the power to influence trends with their buying habits. This was the first time that teenagers, teenagers had like a voice and like yeah. right, people right. were kind of worried about the teen culture and what What, <laughs> what did they want to see? Yeah. What do they want to? <laughs> exactly. Hence why, you know, early earlier we talked about how they were like, teens don't want to see things that aren't risque. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's important. <laughs> yeah. The teen demographic is huge and it really like mm -hmm. sets the trends and <laughs> I mean what's going on. They're the ones that have the time to go out and see exactly. movies, go out and yes. eat things. They're the ones that have disposable income. Yeah. When Marty lands in 1955, he's horrified to discover that he has unwittingly disrupted the love story of his parents. His mother, played by Leah Thompson, falls in love with Marty instead of his father, played by Crispin Glover. Oops. Oops. Uh -oh. <laughs> Oopsie daisy. Thompson appears at the beginning of the film with makeup and prosthetics that make her look 30 years older. And they were very specific about these prosthetics versus the prosthetics at the end of the movie. Mm. And these ones were meant to make her look more like run down, puffier, yeah. more bloated mm -hmm. because the character, I guess, is an alcoholic. Oh, mm. I see. So, so they wanted, yeah. yeah, so she looks very different than at the end of the movie. Yeah, making it look like she had a rough life. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. you know, I never really caught that part. Mm. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. 
One time while filming, she accidentally went home with her old woman makeup on, scaring her mother. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty terrifying. That would be. Your young daughter yeah. like, comes home and it's like, who are you? <laughs> it's like the yeah. plot of a scary yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Actor Tom Wilson played the bully Biff Tannen. The name of the character actually came from a producer who once got so angry with Zemeckis and Gale that he threw his he threw their script on the floor. Ooh. One of the biggest challenges that production designer Lawrence Paul faced was creating the 1950s aesthetic for an audience that might remember the time period. At this point, the 50s had been recent enough that almost no other movies took place in the time period. Paul and his team built the 1950s sets first, using styles and colors from even earlier decades like the 40s and 30s so that nothing would look too modern. Many of the crew said that the set reminded them of where they grew up. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it definitely feels accurate then. Mm-hmm. When he said that, it really stayed with me because in movies that do time the period pieces, yeah. they often fall into this trap where they're like, okay, this, take, this takes place in 1955. Mm-hmm. So everything in this movie has to look 1955. Mm-hmm. It's got to be things that came out in the in the mid 50s. It's got to be th- uh, you know early yeah. mid 50s and it's got to be and the it's, reality is mm-hmm. yeah in 1955 they still had signs from 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. They still yep. had you know people still wore 10 15 year old clothing. Exactly. Like yep. you you know they what had I mean? the light fixtures that were from yes. the 30s and 40s. Right. Like mean, no like, nobody was refixing yeah. their homes think about all the exactly. old, old stuff you have yeah. in your house or mm-hmm. that you know you mm-hmm. see you know like we still have signs from the 80s and 90s yep. up here Absolutely. It, you know and it's like so you have to think when you're creating this set design you can't do just 50s <laughs> you got to think about way the way it looked before that be too because that's yeah. you know that's where it yeah, kind of builds from trickle that. the 50s in yeah <laughs> that's that's kind of why the quote-unquote aesthetic of the decades it's always kind of the most clear, like mm-hmm. really late. Yeah. yeah. Like if you want to find the most clear 80s aesthetic, then you have to look in like 88, 89. Because if you're too early, it's going to be 70s. 70s. You know, yep. you have to have that blend for it to feel real. Mm-hmm. After the 1950s scenes were complete, the crew made the same set look run down and dirty, covering it with graffiti. Uh-huh. They came uh-huh. in, they literally, they literally like, shot water guns of dirty water at it. Like, wow, just <laughs> nice. dirtied it up, made it so it's the same set. They just made it look gross. Sounds kind of fun. For the, for the <laughs> <version. Yeah. laughs> Other parts of the film, like the scene at Twin Pines Mall, were shot on location. Production had to wait until after Christmas because the mall was still active and there would be Christmas decorations and people everywhere. So they waited until January and would start filming after 10 p.m. when the mall closed. Despite how it may seem, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis did not write the first Back to the Future with sequels in mind. At the end of the film, they added a scene with Doc Brown returning from the future in a flying DeLorean. This was meant to be a gag and was not supposed to set up a sequel film. But because the first movie did so well, plans for two sequels were underway. The next two movies would be shot back to back, with Back to the Future releasing in November 1989 and Back to the Future 3 on May 25th, 1990. That's pretty dang close. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy to think that, <laughs> that 
they did not have the sequels in mind. No. Yeah. Right. And it, they fit so well together. Yes, I would have thought they had it all mapped out, yes. at least in general. When I was a kid, I thought they filmed all three of them at the same time. Yeah. Because it seemed like, right. you know, and, you know, you have this whole this whole thing with the first movie being a standalone movie. They had the chance to rewatch it, reread the script, yeah. go over it again and pull out little details from the first movie to then put into the next movies as yeah. if they were foreshadowing and also ah. adding that kind of connection. So it was able they were able to do that <sighs> mm-hmm. because they had like the time to think about yeah. it and and then, then when they filmed the two movies back to back for like a year of shooting, mm-hmm. that was that was done. Like they were done with it. All right, so next we're going to talk a little bit about the music of the movie. Yeah. Right? As we do. The composed music does not enter the film until about 24 or so minutes into the movie. The film begins quietly with just the sounds of ticking clocks to establish Doc Brown's obsession with time. Yeah. Starts out with the... Yeah, it's very unsettling. Yes, and all the different... They're all ticking at different times. Oh, my God. Alan Silvestri composed the music for Back to the Future, which helped to launch his career. He and Robert Zemeckis wanted the score to feel as big as possible, so he conducted an orchestra of 90 people. At the time, it was the biggest orchestra in the history of Universal. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big deal because it you is. have a lot of John Williams movies, a lot of John Williams scores in yeah, Universal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that that this is the one with the biggest orchestra. Yeah. Some of Silvestri's notable films are Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Polar Express from 2004, and some of the Avengers films like Captain America. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, those are great movies. Yeah, he's one of the one of the more prominent composers. In preparation for the 30th anniversary, concert producers had expressed interest in featuring Back to the Future. Since there is no composed music for the first half of the film, this posed a problem. Silvestri's agent then suggested that he write more for the beginning of the movie. Since he knew the film was important, he was nervous. However, when he discussed the idea over dinner with Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they straightaway said that it was a great idea. So is this one of those things where it's, they wanted to put the movie on, the screen, and yes, they wanted and to have, have the orchestra mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. the music as the yeah. movie was playing. Yes. And it was like, yeah, but you have nothing to do for the first 24 <laughs> minutes. And also, it's only like an hour and 50 minute movie. Yeah, so so right. it's, that's a big chunk of time to yeah. not be doing anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> just sitting there. Yeah. They're, they're just watching the movie. Too, like, <laughs> yeah. They forget where they great, are. Guys. They're like, they're just really into it. Yep. The new pieces composed weren't entirely brand new. Silvestri refurbished themes from the entire trilogy to foreshadow. Yeah, that's cool. I would go see this. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I think that'd be cool. We'll get there for the 40th anniversary. That's right. It's only in three years, folks. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) For the soundtrack, one distinct aspect that makes this movie special is the appearance of two Huey Lewis in the News songs written specifically for the film. Gale, Spielberg, and Zemeckis met with Lewis and expressed their high interest in having him write a song for the film. 
as Marty McFly's favorite band in the film is Huey Lewis and the News. Lewis responded, I'm flattered, but I don't know how to write for film. Plus, I didn't fancy writing a song called Back to the Future. <laughs> oh, whatever, dude. <laughs> when Zemeckis assured him that the song did not need to be named that, Lewis caved and ended up writing two songs for the film. They were Power of Love and Back in Time. Power of Love ended up in the number one slot on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Yeah. Very nice. This is a huge song yeah. that we all know, and it's been yes. in my head all day. It's it's so funny <laughs> how he started out like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to do it. Nah. I don't want to. But when he finally caved, he's like, all right, I'll do two. Yeah, yeah I'll do yeah. two songs. <laughs> I think he was also talked into doing the second. It wasn't uh, like planned. It was like, all right, I'll do another one too. <laughs> I'll do one referencing time, sure. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, once it hit the top 100, he's like, mm. oh, great. All right, yeah. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd and the DeLorean also appeared in the music video for Power of Love. Cute. Nice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right, so you you guys don't think that Scott any awards then, do you? Nope. The reception was probably terrible. Yep, the reception you know? was so bad. This movie yeah. flops. No they, one knows about this movie. Uh-uh. They, they made two sequels yeah. for some reason. Yeah, no one knows why. <laughs> While making the film, producer Steven Spielberg said that if he had a time machine, he'd go forward in time to see if the movie would be a success. <laughs> it was cr- it was kind of fun seeing him say that Aww. from like 1985. He's like, whew. I really wish I knew if this actually works out or not. <laughs> Thankfully, the film did well with a budget of approximately $19 million and a gross worldwide final of about just over $383 million. Wow. That's uh, really good. Yeah. yeah. You know, made just a bit more. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Holy moly. There were some critics, however, that were not fans. One was a Los Angeles Times reviewer, Sheila Benson, who called the ending hollow and materialistic. I understand what she's saying. I So if you're watching, if you've seen this movie, you mm-hmm. know that what happens is that Marty doesn't have the greatest life in 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. His parents are broken down, sad, mm-hmm. you know. He like, sees his, his dad being abused by Biff. Yeah. And- Things could be better. So then he goes back to 1955. Yep. Makes all these changes by accident. Yep. And while he's there, he kind of makes their lives way better. Yeah. Like when he comes back to 1985, they're healthier. They have yeah. money. Mm-hmm. It's, and, yeah. It's yeah. just an ideal life after that. Yeah. <laughs> he went back in time. He changed all his crap. And then he ended up making their lives way better by accident. And I always found that to be a little bit of a funny ending. Like I always yeah. thought it was kind of mm-hmm. funny. It is a little materialistic, I guess. Yeah. But it is but... like, it's a fun ending. Yeah. And would it have been as fun of a movie if he went back and everything was the same and no, he went back no. to it? Yeah. His... It, it would have been, even though I don't want to like throw around the term unrealistic in a movie like mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But it would be unrealistic yeah, for him to change all that stuff and right. nothing was different yeah. when yeah. he got back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many others enjoyed the film and compared it to the fantasy travels in Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Roger Ebert, who gave the film three and a half stars, said it's about a character who begins with one view of his life and reality and is allowed through magical intervention to discover another. 
Aw. All right. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Variety's Ray Loind wrote in 1985 that the film is also sharply anchored by zestful byplay between Fox's Arthurian night figure and Christopher Lloyd's Merlin-like crazed scientist. It's <laughs> a good way of putting that too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, this is very magical science. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's a lot of big words and some non-existent technology like the flux capacitor does not exist. Yeah. <laughs> but everything around it makes sense. Mhm. Yeah. And and but it can do something so amazing that it's very magical. Yeah, it's yeah. cool that they created this whole idea, you know, they created the flux capacitor. Mm-hmm. Yep. They came up with 88 miles per hour. Yeah. Which yeah. they yep. chose, they said they chose 88 miles per hour because it's easy to remember. And that's that. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, I mean, they that's knew, a good choice. They knew that it would be an easy number to remember, so they and added it in. Yeah. They couldn't uh, choose 6-6, six, six, so. No. <laughs> How many uh, how many gigawatts do they need? One point two one. One point two one gigawatts. Yeah. yeah. And so like they they have like these nonsensical words. And but like when when he spouts it all off, he's so confident. Yeah. And he has so much charisma that it's just like mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah, right. that's yeah. totally it that makes sense. sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I, I get it. Max I trust there. this man with my life. Yeah. One of the one of the jokes in the movie that we always laughed at when I was a kid <laughs> was when he says, well, you could witness the birth of Christ. And he changes the meter to oh, be December yeah. 25th, zero, zero. zero. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. The special effects team, Charles Campbell and Robert Rutledge, won an Oscar for Back to the Future. There were actually very few visual effects shots in the film. The movie was also nominated for Oscars for Best Writing, Best Sound, and Best Music, Original Song. Yeah. Very nice. It's pretty rare when a movie that is so pop culture associated is nominated for a lot of Oscars. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a little, it's a little, doesn't happen very often. It's usually the the very art house movies that get all of those nominations. That's That's why we see, almost every year we see like, one or two Marvel movies get nominated for something yeah. visual effects, but they yeah. but they yeah. still I I yeah. don't remember if they they don't win really yeah no. not not yeah. often mm-hmm. and with this one there really wasn't if you're watching it now there are a lot of practical effects in the Back to the Future mm-hmm. movies yeah uh, lots of like real fire and uh, you know like there's mm-hmm. there's a part in the in the parking lot scene when the time travel for the first time. When the DeLorean leaves, there's two trails of fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you can see just for a second, because when you when the shot goes back, you, you could see that it's real fire. Mm-hmm. It's actually there. And like the guys like lit up the thing. Yeah. And then when, when they look back, Doc Brown and Mari look back, it's the green screen. Mm-hmm. And you can see that you can see that the fire the fire is not really there. But at the time, I mean it's, it's not pretty, bad. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty it still good. looks great. Yeah, yeah. it, lo- it looks fantastic. And yeah, a lot of incredible practical effects. You know, the dog, they put the dog in the car and <laughs> Einstein. Oh, yeah. And then they switched him out for a stuntman in a dog suit to drive uh-huh. the car. Oh! Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, just in case you happen to catch a glimpse of the dog as the car went <laughs> by, was, uh, yeah. they wanted to make sure that you didn't see a driver. <laughs> 
And then when the car came back, it was covered in dry ice. And that's why oh, it looks so frozen yeah. and cold. Yeah. And okay. as the movie goes on, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. when it travels in time. And they were like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, we gave up on it. Yeah, it was really hard to shoot yeah. that. All right. Now onward to everyone's favoritest bit of every episode. Ooh, right? The fun facts. Actually. Yes. When asked about a favorite scene in 2010, Michael J. Fox brought up the bedroom scene where he was being seduced, saying, All that stumbling around I did was a direct reaction to all the pressure Leah was putting on me with the eyes and the intensity of what she was doing. It was so fun to work with someone that good. Yeah, he gets hit by her father's car, which is what was supposed to happen to his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he gets taken into the house and he wakes up in this dark room with this young woman who's his age because, you know, yeah. it's the 1950s of now. Of course, yes. And it's his mother. And she is like so stoked yeah. to have a boy in her house. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the scene he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's very, yeah. it is. Yeah, she's really. Oh, yeah. She's like, your name's Calvin? Yeah. Clyde? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she looked at his underwear. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's so funny because that is just not a thing people do anymore. Yeah, put no. your name on your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Why did people do it back? Yeah, then? I mean, did I anybody know. ever actually do? That? I don't know. I, just I like think something they did. That, okay. I just don't know why they did it. Yeah. yeah. Like, was it that know. often that you lost it? I mean, I guess. Right? Did you, would maybe, you want it back if you lost like, it? I maybe it's like a, like a, I don't know, dog tag. <laughs> I don't know. The only thing I. <laughs> if you find my dead body, check my check underwear. Check my underwear. <laughs> I mean. Then you'll know who I am. I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think is that people probably just had bigger families. So, mm. you know, you would uh, write yeah. the kids' names in the underwear. Yeah. So that way you know. Which that pile makes to sense. put it on? Yeah, that that's that's good. That's, that's a the good only point. thing good I job. can think good of. Good job, Marcy. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah it out. that makes sense. Make so. it easier for the dad to. So- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, because we all know who's sorting the underwear in the 1950s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Back to the Future was such a prominent part of pop culture that a VHS copy of the film was buried in the Nickelodeon time capsule which will be unearthed on April 30th, 2042. Yes. I, That's super awesome. Yes, I love, I, yeah. I was excited <laughs> to talk about this movie just so I could talk about the Nickelodeon time capsule, what? which was buried <laughs> in 1992. Wow. That's it's awesome. Incredible. I can't wait to see it get I know. Yeah. We're going to be 50 years old when oh. that gets, I know, nice. because it was buried the year Marcy that, and I were born. Yep. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. But yeah, uh, <laughs> the Nickelodeon time capsule. The there was like this World Council of Kids. We should do a brief yeah, on this. We mm-hmm. should. There, there was a World Council of Kids <laughs> that got to decide what went into the time capsule. Only children got to decide. Yeah, Amazing. what went in, and <laughs> they picked Back to the Future. It was one of the movies that they picked. I think they picked Home Alone. Also, it's it's kind of fitting though that it get that a movie like this get put in a time capsule. Yeah, right. right. Oh it yeah, just makes sense. it's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Huey Lewis and News made a guest appearance as the administration that turns down the band for the Battle of the Bands in their audition. The singer originally said no to appearing on screen, 
but eventually agreed as long as he was disguised and went uncredited. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. He didn't want to do it. And what they what they did was they were like, we're going to have you in the movie. We're going to have you tell Marty that his music's too loud and that <laughs> you can't play it. And uh, not only that, he's going to be playing a version of your um, song that you wrote. So you yes. are going to be rejecting your own song. <laughs> so it's going to be hilarious yeah. mm-hmm. for those that know. Yeah. <laughs> While he was filming, he said... MTV can't see this or I'm finished. (laughs) (laughs) Referring to his very professional hair, makeup, and suit. Yes. (laughs) Very Poindexter. (laughs) This rock and roll guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like a regular Poindexter. I can't be seen as a nerd. (laughs) Can't do this. For years after shooting Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox would accidentally refer to other people as Doc while acting in other movies. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's so cute. I love Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah. And I bet even after, especially shooting two and three back to yeah. back, mm-hmm. that really solidified because he'd just say Doc all the time when, when gesturing, <laughs> right? So I mean, we'd accidentally do it all the time. That's Aww. very funny. Yeah. <laughs> He must have really enjoyed filming these movies. I imagine oh, so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he remembers it so well that it's just ingrained in, yeah. you know. Just before filming began, the head of Universal, Sid Sheinberg, sent a memo to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. He didn't like the name Back to the Future and instead asked them to change the name of the film to Spaceman from Pluto. What? <laughs> what? Okay. Steven Spielberg responded to the memo with his own, saying, Sid, thanks for your most humorous memo. We all got a big kick out of it. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> what a perfect way to respond. That, to shut it down. Yeah, that was, I mean, what a, oh my God. Yeah. That was great. I read the full memo. Yeah. And my God. So he sent the memo and he was like, hey. I love your movie. I think I think it's a great film. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be really spectacular. Mm-hmm. I love all the edits you've made from the different versions. Looking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I've buttered you up, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. oh my! God. I'd like to suggest that you change the name of the movie to Spaceman from Pluto. And then he pulled out different references in the script and said, and in this and in this reference say Spaceman from Pluto. And in this reference, say Spaceman from... So he wanted them to rewrite oh. lines in the movie Are that included the title me? of this movie. No. Why? <laughs> I don't know. What he, was going through his head? He felt like Back to the Future was uh, attaching itself too much to like the time travel genre or whatever. I can't remember. Mm, and well, I was just like, I mean, that's what it is, though. It's a time travel yeah. movie. It's very much a time travel movie. So, so <laughs> what if he really put his foot down and it's like, no. I, I'm the head of Universal. Oh, God. Change it to Spaceman from Pluto. Good good thing Steven Spielberg was the one who responded because yeah. it's like, yeah. you, you need the big names yeah. to respond to something like that. In the very first scene of the film, the camera pans around a room filled with clocks. One of them depicts a man hanging from the clock face. This is an homage to one of the most famous moments of the silent film era when Harold Lloyd hung from a clock in his film Safety Last. But it's also foreshadowing the climax of the film when Doc Brown hangs from the clock tower as Marty attempts to harness the lightning and head back to 1985. Uh That's perfect. Wow. Yeah, there are quite a few 
references to this in, in cinema. You'll see people, characters hanging from clocks in various mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. Yep. and they're all paying tribute to this silent film. Oh, so any final thoughts on Back to the Future? This was a bit of a shorter episode, so yeah. feel free to be long-winded. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> well, this is a movie that I never saw for quite a while. But when I did eventually see it, I immediately understood why it was such a pop culture icon at that yeah. point. You yeah. know, I'd seen the DeLorean time machine. I recognize Marty in the Red vest. Puffer vest. <laughs> yeah. And, and the whole thing. But I just never really got it. I really like this movie. It, it's a great jump into time travel kind <laughs> yeah. of movie. Because there's some really complicated time travel stuff out there. Yeah. But this one's easy. Like, yeah. I got it. Time machine going back to a time machine that moves around that you can drive. Easy. Yeah. And oh my goodness. And it's made that car one of the most iconic cars ever. Oh, yeah. And everyone wants it now. You know, (laughs) all the people who love movies and and especially back to the future want a delorean mm-hmm. and then they trick it out with all the time machine <laughs> oh, mumbo yeah. jumbo yep but it is a really fun movie and actually the whole trilogy is very fun yeah and i love how it, like some of my favorite parts is when he plays rock and roll on stage it's like <laughs> oh, oh yeah. i guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. yeah <laughs> yeah but your kids are gonna love it because <laughs> yeah, because you know it he was really jamming he knows how to play really well and you'd think everybody would be like wow yeah, he was doing like the riffs and yeah, all the crazy like, stuff what the hell is that yes right now? <laughs> yes the, those kinds of jokes and, and moments are, are really fun and memorable and that's kind yeah. of this whole movie that it's full of those because you know, they didn't go super raunchy like other teen oh, no. movies. Yeah. And and looking at it, it's like, well, yeah, they didn't need to. Look at how funny and clever yes. this whole yeah. thing is. And I'm I'm really happy for it. it it's fantastic. <laughs> There's so many funny jokes in this movie. Yeah. And it and it's this really quiet humor. One of my favorite jokes, I think, the whole in the movie is that Marty goes back thirty years into the past. And he looks up Doc Brown, and he looks the same as he did in 1985. <laughs> right, right. Everyone else had all this makeup and prosthetics in the beginning of the movie, and he, and he has not aged in 30 years. And I yep. think that is hilarious. It and is. It, yeah. It's a joke that's never addressed. It's nope. just, it, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and it's very funny. It's almost like trying to make the crew of the movie laugh. You know, they <laughs> yeah. put it in there for themselves. Yeah. And they, they chuckle at it when they see the premiere, but nobody else really bats an eye. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 good stuff. Yeah. I you really I could really feel the personality of the writers. Yeah. Oh, Especially sure. like watching it with their commentary too. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like you see it. You're like, Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. guy definitely wrote that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And things like the it's food rehydrator. Oh right? my god! Where, where like oh. they put in, in the this second one. Yes. Tie- oh, that's right. That's the second. But still, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the writers thinking about things yes. like that is just yeah. oh my god. So imaginative. Yes. All the things. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. That's exciting stuff. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and I mean, it's easy to mistake the. the yeah. Like mm-hmm. you said earlier, it feels like they were all shot together. Yeah. yeah. Even though they didn't anticipate it. 
sequels. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that that just goes to show how solid the idea is. Yeah. And how clever these writers are because <laughs> it, it's such a great idea for a time travel movie. It just oh, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have your crazy scientist who's a beloved waggy character and everyone knows and loves Christopher Lloyd for mm-hmm. it. And then tie in this question that everyone wants answered. <laughs> what was it like yeah. when my parents were growing up or whatever? You know, it, it's like, I don't know. It's so solid mm-hmm. that, or it's no surprise mm-hmm. that it was as successful as it is. And it's such a pop culture icon. Yeah. I love this movie. Marcy and mm-hmm. I went to go see the second one back on Back to the Future Day. Yes, we did. Yeah. Back in 2015. Oh, and then man. I, yeah, yeah, USA Today, you know, printed a very special copy mm-hmm. of, that was in the featured in the movie. Yes. And I went to the store the next day and I bought it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have it in a frame right here. Yes. Yeah. With my with the with the ticket stub. Yep. That we for what yeah, the movie. I love that up there. And, that's yeah. really cool. It, <laughs> yeah. It has such funny little jokes and stuff. Yes. On it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's hilarious. With, yeah. yeah. I framed it, but like it, it, I read it first, and yeah, it's just whole, oh god, yeah. it's very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to the Future is a bona fide classic. For over thirty-five years, this film has enchanted audiences with its offbeat and lovable characters, its humor, and its fascinating storyline, with more setups and payoffs than any film in recent history. It's true; almost every moment that gets set up at the beginning of the movie comes back at the end, even after you've forgotten about it. I love that. <laughs> when he runs over that one pine tree oh. and it becomes oh, lone, yeah, pine, lone pine instead of twin pine. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So many little things. It's really fun. Back to the Future was a film many years in the making that got rejected by nearly every studio in Hollywood and almost never found its way to the big screen. It breathed new life into Robert Zemeckis's and Bob Gale's careers and launched Michael J. Fox into superstardom. But even more than that, Back to the Future is a film and a franchise that has delighted audiences since its debut. It's a fun, exciting story that connects us all to the past, no matter how much farther into the future we go. Uh, you don't think Teen Wolf would have skyrocketed Michael J. Fox? <laughs> uh, I think some people will watch Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's still known today. So. Yeah, That's right. yeah it's, all right. Oh, uh, I guess that is a, another case closed. Hey, Woo! we wow. did it. Look yeah. at us. That, that was wasn't, a, that was yeah. a good clap. Yeah. I was going to say, we're in the studio, so we, mm-hmm. we got it. Yes, that, that was a good clap. That wasn't just one, we yeah. promise. No, it was all three of us. Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, J.D., Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, Jaren, and Brad. Hooray. Woo, thank you, guys. Yes. Thank you so much. You can now buy us popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash Diary. And thank you to all that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. Mm-hmm. And, guys, we are up for a podcast award Yes, again. we That's are. Right. So please, please, we'll put a link on the website. Yes. Yes. Right and, at the top. Yes. We'll put a link on the website. Follow the link. Please vote for us. All you need is your email address. And that's it. Yes. That's, that's all you all. need. You will not get bombarded with emails. Mm-hmm. We promise. We've yeah. never gotten a single one. Nope. Bam. Voters Nothing. will not get emailed. Yeah. We nope. promise. You nope. just need it to vote. So that's it. Please. That's it. 
please very much. You can vote please, for please, all the please, categories, please, please. but we just we're asking you to vote yeah. for us. And you do not live, need to live in Columbus to vote. That's Anybody right. can vote. You That's can right. Vote. So yeah. please, please vote for us. It yes, really, please. really makes us feel very special. It does. Yes. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope you like this yeah. episode. Yes. Bye. See ya. In the future. <gasps> When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit.